You're listening to the Memphis MedCast, a podcast series from Memphis Medical Society. Find out more about our mission and services at mdmemphis.org. Hello out there in Memphis Healthcare Lamb. My name is Clint Cummins, CEO and Executive Vice President of the Memphis Medical Society. We're excited to launch a brand new offering to our members, the podcast. Most of our future podcasts will be 20 to 30 minutes long in order to let you listen on your commute or lunch break. Today, we're going to run a little bit long because we're offering two very valuable things, legislative advocacy information and CME. Send us a note at info at mdmemphis.org and let us know how we did today, good or bad. Before we introduce our legislative expert today, I need to give you a little disclaimer because it wouldn't be a healthcare presentation without one. The information used in this CME activity is based on educational needs of physicians and developed independently of commercial influences. This presenter and all content decision makers have no financial interest to disclose. All right, now on to the fun stuff. I want to introduce our special guest, Ben Simpson. Ben is the Associate Director for Government Affairs for the Tennessee Medical Association. He has an extensive background working for the State Department of Health and has a law degree from Nashville School of Law uh, that he attained after he graduated with a bachelor's degree from UT. Ben, welcome. Thank you for having me, Clamp. We're going to have a talk about all the different issues impacting healthcare and our physicians and how TMA and Memphis Medical Society has impacted those issues. Before we discuss the laws enacted in 2018, I want to highlight some really cool numbers that illustrate how hard TMA and Memphis Medical Society work on behalf of physicians and patients. Since 2017, 1,292 bills were introduced. Over 300 bills were closely tracked by TMA's government affairs team because they directly impacted or potentially impacted the practice of business and medicine. TMA also amended over 40 bills, some really uh, cool numbers about how hard uh, TMA is working. Uh, All right, Ben, now it's your time to shine. Y'all listen closely, Ben talks fast. The first law we're gonna talk about today deals with something near and dear to the month of October breast tissue and the notification of a patient having dense breast tissue. Ben, tell us more. Clint, thank you. I do talk fast. Um, That law degree has something to do with it, I'm sure. Uh, I'll kind of speed through the ones that are self-explanatory so we can have a little more dialogue on the laws that are really going to affect your day-to-day operation. Dense dense breast tissue is one of those that is self-explanatory. Simply updates a law that we've had on the books for the past couple of years. stemming from a legislator's wife who, who actually was able to catch through a mammogram um, breast cancer and has since been uh, not necessarily cured, but is, is in remission and she is doing well. This really is self-explanatory in the fact that what you need to, need to put on your mammogram exclosures is on the slide. Great. Um, ben, can you tell us our, our listeners today aren't going to uh, have the opportunity um, to, to look at a slide. Can you tell us exactly what's, uh, uh, what's in the bill? Oh, perfect. I, and I'm sorry, as I'm used to doing this off of uh, slides. So appreciate the opportunity. Um, basically, it says that you have to put forth, um, and, and the specific verbiage is on our website. You can access through using your TM, TMA member number. Um, what it says is your mammogram shows that you have dense breast tissue. Dense breast, dense breast tissue is common. However, dense breast tissue can hide breast cancer so that it may not have been a routine mammography, um, more or less allowing the patient to know that, that, that dense breast tissue 
does occur. It is common, but it's something that you should get further looked at. Um, again, Yarnell uh, and the legal team here at Team A work with Clint on a daily basis, as well as all the other metros and physicians across the state, so that if you need this information or this verbiage, it's available on the TMA website. All right, great. Thanks, Ben. Uh, so the next two bills that we want to talk about are ones that uh, I know you have worked a long time on. I've actually worked on some of these, and that's maintenance of certification and provider stability. Talk about these two bills, please. Well, let's start with provider stability. Um, provider stability has been a bill that has been, at least in my seven years at the legislature, something that Julie Griffin, uh, Clint Cummins, and others have really fought on the side of positions for to take back some of that power from the insurance companies um, and really is, is a unique bill um, in the nation. And the fact that it is the only bill in Tennessee is the only state that requires 60 day notice of a reimbursement policy change. So those of you that are not familiar with this bill, it, it's been a four to five year battle for the Tennessee Medical Association, as well as all of our physicians across the state to get more predictability in dealing with the insurance companies that really are trying to encroach upon what a physician does in their daily practice. I think I'm going to hit the um, five top points of it. What it does, and this bill becomes effective on January 1 of 2019, so a couple of months away from recording this podcast, requires an insurance company to give a 90-day notice of a fee schedule change to all of the physicians that are in that insurance network. It only allows an insurance company to have one fee schedule change in a 12-month period. Again, the unique point here is a 60-day notice of reimbursement policy change must be sent to any contracted physician a copy of the fee schedule and any change with this fee schedule has to be given to the physician within 10 days of request or within when 10 days uh, or within 10 days of the change. And finally, it, it does exempt government plans. So Medicaid, Medicare, anything that CMS is dealing with is not uh, going to be included in these changes. Um, Yarnell has put out a law guide topic on this for those of you that really want to dig down. Um, probably one of the biggest wins, uh, at least from a state medical society and component medical societies that we've seen in the nation in the past couple of years. Um, I'll move on to maintenance of certification. This was one that kind of is a, was a groundswell because it was not something that we were seeing on the national level. It was really a, a, some physicians that went to the AMA conference and came back and said AMA wasn't doing enough. What can TMA and, and the Metro Medical Societies across the state do to give us some relief from something that used to be uh, voluntary to now something that is mandatory um, one estimate uh, from a physician who, who actually tracked his time and lost productivity said that his maintenance of certification cost him $152,000 every time that he took off two weeks or three weeks of work um, to study and then another two weeks of work to go and take the testing wherever it was offered. So it was really something that I think physicians from across the state, and we heard a lot in the Memphis market, it wasn't a value add for their practice and needed to go back to being optional. What we were able to do um, with significant resistance from the hospital community and significant resistance, again, from the insurance community, um, was passed a law in two stages. Ultimately, what this law has done is say that maintenance of certification cannot be mandatory when dealing with your medical license. Maintenance of certification cannot be the sole determining mandatory factor when becoming in or out of network. And if you are a physician that is hospital-based or working within a hospital, the hospital staff 
now has a way to approach uh, hospital management saying that, again, that maintenance and certification can't be mandatory um, if the physician staff within the hospital wants to opt out. Uh, so you're opted in automatically in your hospital, but the medical staff now has a legal course um, to take when dealing with hospital management and, and administration if they don't want maintenance certification as part of their everyday practice. So I know you and Julie and Yarnell and uh, Rebecca and everybody on the team put a, a lot of energy uh, into these bills. And another group that put a lot of energy is our TMA Legislative Committee, which is um, uh, filled with uh, member physicians. So if you're out there listening today, we really uh, want to encourage folks to get involved in the legislative process. Uh, we'll talk more about that later in the podcast, but uh, you can get involved in the local Memphis Medical Society Legislative Committee. Uh, or the TMA Legislative Committee. Uh, they're always looking for folks um, to serve there. Uh, next bill we're going to talk about addresses displacement uh, by natural disasters. Ben, what are the details? Well, it's on really that? timely as we have another hurricane approaching the uh, East Coast. Um, I believe this one is, is scheduled to hit upper upper Florida and Georgia and South Carolina. Um, it, it was brought by physician member, Dr. Mark Green, who is now running for Congress. And hopefully by the time uh, that this podcast gets heard in January, we will have uh, another, our third physician member of Congress from the state of Tennessee. Um, making three out of seven, which I believe is probably the heaviest position. Uh, I would say a heaviest position involvement in, in any state delegation uh, to the Congress. What this bill does is, is more or less makes common sense law. If you're displaced by a natural disaster, it allows a pharmacist or a physician to validate that prescription or treat that patient regardless of state licensure. So if you are sent, if a physician who is licensed only in Georgia comes to Tennessee to help deal with a natural disaster uh, as long as it is attached to that event and there's a time a specific time period two weeks into which that event can occur uh, then they're not going to be have an adverse effect on their license for doing what they should be doing which which is helping people in need all right good all right, Ben, if you need to take a breath and uh, get a drink of water, now's the time to do it. We're about to talk about opioids. Uh, 2018 was the year of opioids in our state and across the country. Uh, so tell me the story of all the different opioid legislation efforts this year, uh, beginning with Governor Haslam's Tennessee Together. Well, I, I take a breath, take a drink, maybe even take an opioid to get through some of the pain that this legislation has caused across the state. Um, I say that in a joking manner. It, you know, opioid addiction is never anything to joke about. But unfortunately, there really is some hesitation now from physicians to even look at opioids because this particular set of law has been so heavily regulated for the last seven years. Um, I, I know for my last three sessions with TMA, I, I spend about 50 percent of my time talking about opioids, talking about where the problem is and, and how we can make common sense solutions without interfering with that patient physician relationship. I tell you all that to tell you that, that really opioids kind of came to a crescendo last year um, or, or in the year of 2018 is now we have not only seen state legislation that's the strictest in the country. Congress has just passed an act um, to further fund uh states into doing the kind of legislation that Tennessee has already done. So it's good to be on the forefront, even though it is taxing in a day-to-day -day 
patient relationship and a day-to-day practice. Uh, the flagship piece of legislation um, was Tennessee Together. The uh, governor actually rolled this out in a way that I think many physicians, and at least I found somewhat offensive, in that we showed up in January and he sets forth a one-size-fits-all bill um, that really regulated medicine to a degree that did not allow physicians to treat their patients for what was best and even remove some individual thought with the way that the individual bill rolled out. Um, some of you may think that's quite offensive for me to say, don't worry, there were more offensive things said, um, not only to the administration, but I know uh, that some of our physician champions and champions of organized medicine within the legislature, I'll mention physician representative Dr. Brian Terry, physician representative uh, Dr. Steve Dickerson, Dr. Richard Briggs, uh, and Representative Cameron Sexton, who is our health chair, um, were really instrumental, uh, as well as Sarah Kyle there in Memphis. We're good with allowing us to kind of go to the governor and, and tell him that the original bill that he filed, which gave one um, allowance for morphine milligram equivalent for every situation for every patient, was just untenable and something that not only would hurt patients, but would also destroy the ability to practice medicine in Tennessee. So I tell you all that to get to what we were able to do um, is, is come together um, after stopping the governor's original bill, rewrite it to get through what we have done today. And that's, that's what is prevalent on our website. We have 10 to 12 different tools in our opioid toolkit, again, on the TMA website that will walk you through the specifics of this bill. There's a lot to it. What you need to know to practice every day in Tennessee is that there is no limit on a three-day supply or there is no extra steps on a three-day supply as long as that three-day supply is written under a total of 180 morphine milligram equivalents. Um, for those of you who are talking pills, that is six uh, of the 10 milligram Oxycontin pills per day. So we're not talking about a slow ceiling here. We're talking about something that's pretty significant. Um, but the entire thrust of uh, this opioid bill and legislation was not to limit what you're writing, but hopefully to limit what people are keeping in their medicine cabinet. So what we were able to do is do a bill that kind of has five separate categories. And I'm going to hit those categories because really, if you really want to get down into the nuts and bolts of Tennessee together, we have a totally 45 minute CME on our website. And Clint, if you want to do another podcast on that, we can. Um, we also have some great tools and resources uh, through that opioid toolkit that allow you to do that. This is this bill is not something that you can kind of digest even in 15 to 20 minutes. It really does take about a half hour to, to kind of understand. But what I want people to take away from this particular podcast is that we have five buckets. The first is a three-day bucket. As long as it's under 180 morphine milligram equivalent, you can write that prescription the same as you're writing it now. There is no limit to how many three-day prescriptions you can write. So if someone walks in and, and you give them four three-day prescriptions, all post-dated, that's perfectly legal. Um, it's, is it best practice? No, probably not. But it is you. There is no limit on how many three-day prescriptions you can write. Uh, so I want our physicians to understand that. The next bucket is a ten-day bucket, which allows you to write a ten-day prescription. And you, to do that, you have to do a couple things. The first is you have to put the ICD-10 code on that prescription so that if that prescription is ever questioned, you can defend yourself. The second is you have to have them. Um, you have to go through all non-opioid therapies beforehand and, and talk about in your medical notes why 
that they need an opioid therapy because you have tried opioid non-opioid therapies before, uh, then you have to, to get the informed consent. Uh, the informed consent is good for a year once they've signed it. So what we're encouraging people here at TMA to do and at Memphis Medical Society, I would dare say also is to uh, go on that website in that opioid toolkit. We have a sample informed consent that's been blessed by both the Board of Medical Examiners and the Department of Health that you can use uh, in your day-to-day practice. You can twist it, tweak it, turn it so so that it it kind of more fits your day-to-day practice. Yarnell and I are the lawyers on staff, and we're happy to take any of those member questions on how that informed consent could best well for you. So we've been through, there's a three-day where you don't have to do anything. There's a 10-day, which is your normal prescription, uh, and then there are four other buckets that we want to talk about to get to the six. Uh, there's a surgery bucket. So for those of you performing surgery, try and keep it under 850 morphine milligram equivalents for a 15, excuse me, for a 20 day supply. There is a medical necessity option, which you do have to go through the rigmarole of an ICD-10 code. You do have to do the informed consent. You do have to uh, note in your um medical charts, the reason for the medical necessity, and then you do on this particular prescription have to put medical necessity on the prescription itself so that when it goes to the pharmacy, the pharmacist knows to fill 30 days. And then the final bucket, of course, being that exempt bucket. Um, And there are a lot of different categories that can make you exempt from this law, and you can still get a prescription for the 30 days that you could have before this law was passed. Um, But you do have to write exempt on that script. You do have to put the ICD-10 code, and then you do have to meet one of the eight uh, factors to be exempt. I think the biggest one that we see is if that patient has had 90 days of opioids in the last year, so that's three 30-day prescriptions, then they are exempt from Tennessee together. I know that was a lot, Clint, so if, if I missed anything or you needed to dissect part of it, please let me know. I think we'll just encourage folks, as you said, to go to the website, tnmed.org, and seek out more information, or you can email uh, us at the Memphis Medical Society at info at mdmemphis.org. And of course, I'm always available at ben.simpson at tnmed.org. Please put your TMA member number in there somewhere uh, so that I know that you're a member and I can give you credit for, for, for emailing in. Um, the next one I'd like to go to with uh, our my commentator and leader's uh, head nod, even though we're on a podcast, is a bill that came out of Upper Cumberland Medical Society um, from Dr. Gray, who is a retired OBGYN. Um, they're seeing large instances still of neonatal abstinence syndrome in that community. And so what Dr. Gray was able to do um, is to pass a law that does not have a criminal penalty for an accidental violation um, and that does not is not going to affect your license if you forget to do it one or two times. Um, actually, the bill itself says that you have to have a willful and repeated violations um, for, for this to come up. But what it does do is add to that informed consent that anything above a three-day supply um, of an opioid to a woman of childbearing age, and I believe that is 15 to 44 um, for the purposes of this law, needs to have an informed consent so that they know that they're getting an opioid and that they know that they're going to potentially, if they were to become pregnant, um, be exposed to neonatal abstinence syndrome. Um, 
really is a good bill that I think encourages good medicine without over-regulating the physicians that are out there doing it right. It's not a go-get-you or gotcha bill um, if a physician forgets to, to do this once, even though it, it is something that I think every physician across the state that deals with a woman of childbearing age should be thinking and talking about um, as we see neonatal abstinence syndrome continue to climb in the state and cost taxpayers about $64,000 per NAS birth um, through TenCare. All right, Ben, uh, we have any uh, more kind of uh, off to the side uh, issues you want to talk about regarding opioids? I know there were several bills that got impacted. You may not want to go through. Well, all of we'll them, but... get forward so, to, uh, to just a couple of things I want to mention. There's a hotline out there now um, that if you think that someone is misprescribing or you think someone is misusing um, that the Department of Health has put up a hotline that is manned by a real person that can either get a complaint to the medical board or get you into or get that person that may need some sort of help with opioid use disorder to the proper health. Um, again, passed by one of our member physicians, really something that is more of a tool for physicians to use with their patient population and for physicians to see maybe even other practitioners that aren't there out there doing it the right way uh, so that we can all do our part to battle the opioid epidemic. All right. Uh, looks like there were two or three bills this year as well about buprenorphine. Uh, is that something you want to Absolutely. touch on? Absolutely. I know this doesn't affect a lot of our physicians, but those that it affect those that it does affect it affects directly. As we see the opioid epidemic hopefully round that corner and, and come back down and, and get to that decline. An important point that that I always talk about when talking about opioids is this state has decreased. 15% every year um, since 2012, uh, since we started passing all this regulation on how much opioids we prescribe. So for, for those of you trying to wrap your head around what is 15% from 2012 to 2013, that was almost 80 million morphine milligram equivalents. As we continue down that curve, we're still in the tens of millions that we're decreasing. Um, but it's it's a great trend to have, and it's because incur it's because organized medicine and good physicians have kind of gotten out front and have not only looked at their prescribing habits, but looked at the prescribing habits of the people in their community and are trying to really have a rising tide lift all. All right. Uh, I think that's, that's enough about opioids for now. Uh, uh, ben, take, take another breath. That was a, a long bit of information about opioids. I uh, really appreciate everything that uh, you and the legislative staff uh, put together uh, uh, regarding opioids. As Ben mentioned on a couple of occasions, there is an online resource at tnmed.org uh, for even if, go ahead for all of our members to get uh, more information about opioids. Um, uh, everything from patient notices to more details about the bills uh, can uh, be found there. Uh, ben, next we're going to talk about the always uh, polarizing issue of abortion. What bills did we work on this year? So there's, you can't really go through, go in or go out uh, through uh, a session without dealing with an abortion. Um, public Chapter 862, or excuse me, without dealing with an abortion bill. Public Chapter 862 kind of brought Tennessee back to the top of the conservative pile, as it were, um, about laws across the country. Um what 
we at TMA ha- in the TMA advocacy team have never really taken a, a stance on this bill. What our job when these bills come about is to allow the doctors to make sure there are clear, defined lines on the road. Um, so in public chapter 862, um, the results of an ultrasound prior to an abortion must be offered to the pregnant woman. Um, and then the results may include whether the fetus had a heartbeat um, and whether or not that heartbeat was detected. Uh, the circuit court actually just declined to take up a challenge um, from the ACLU on this specific law. I know they're moving to the Supreme Court of the United States next, um, but that's where we are. Uh, further, we defined what an elective abortion provider was. Last I checked, there were four of those in this state. Um I don't know where they are because they don't publish that information. Um, but the last, the last that I heard it, during testimony for these bills was that four of those exist. All right. Uh, so another polarizing issue uh, for us, at least in healthcare, is scope of practice. There was a long drama this year with the physician's assistant scope of practice. Uh, and while we didn't have a lot uh, from the nurse practitioners this year, that's always an issue. Uh, can you tell us about the specific bills and outline the overall scope of practice strategy? From sure. Um, scope of practice remains our number one issue. Um, it has been since I started at TMA and it has not moved down the board. Um, three years ago, when when I first came to TMA, uh, the advocacy team, as well as the physicians across the state, were able to uh, achieve a moratorium on the nursing association, at least the national, excuse me, at least the state level association from bringing a scope of practice bill for three years. Um, The final year of that moratorium is coming up in 2019. What that means is that in 2020, the nursing association can then, um, you know, put the foot on the gas and try for full practice authority, as they call it, unsupervised authority would be another term for that specific push. Um, That was achieved by getting to an agreement that the physician, the TMA and other physician organizations of which we led 15 different subspecialty and other organizations across the state. We, what we gave up to get that was to change the term of supervision to collaboration. um, And that we have promised to look at those rules and, and, go back to the boards and see if anything needs to be changed. So with that in 26, excuse me, 2017, um, the legal term of supervision was changed to collaboration in about 22 places in the law. There was no actual change in the supervision that occurred from that word swap. Um, But the physician's assistants saw that the nurses did that and asked for the same change. Um, we gave them that in 2018 so that now it is physician's assistants and advanced practice nurses being supervised by a phys- being collaborated with by a physician um, have the same or equal terminology. Uh, we are aware that a scope of practice bill will be brought by a new 501c3 in this state that is not associated with the nursing association as a way to get around the moratorium promise that they made to the TMA three years ago. Um, we expect to be fighting that bill in the upcoming session. All right. Uh, more to come, I'm sure, on scope of practice in our state. Uh, next, we had a bill dealing with disaster victim marketing. Tell us more Just about that. Just a real quick hitter here, Clint. It, it basically says that certain healthcare prescribers, employees, or agencies can't market directly to disaster victims or upcharge or do other things like that. 
All right, great. It's it's always good to protect our uh, patients' interests, particularly when they've been impacted by a disaster. Uh, the next topic I want to talk about is one that's definitely high on the list of our current TMA president, Matthew Mancini from Knoxville, uh, and that's episodes of care. While the public may not be aware of this 10 care program, physicians who see 10 care patients certainly are. Uh, ben, will you summarize for us what has transpired in the last legislative session? So this particular piece of legislation had some teeth, but not many. Really, uh, TMA physician member Dr. Kumar uh, brought about a bill to kind of remove the term penalty because that was being used in a, in a way to leverage uh, some physicians into having lower contracts and lower reimbursement. But what that brought about was really a wave of legislators kind of looking at 10 care episodes of care and saying this doesn't make sense. So at the end of last session, um, Dr. Wendy Long, who is in charge of 10 care, who's also a member physician, kind of stood up and said that at this point, um, the 60 episodes that are in the pipeline will not be released. And then we will go and try and revise the other 50 episodes of care that are in uh, actual practice. So we continue um, to meet both at a local and state level um, with 10 care and, and physicians involved with 10 care so that we can kind of really take this episodic payment program that they've really tried to force out on us and redo it at a foundational level so that physicians are no longer getting charged or penalized for things that are out of their control. Um, while TMA thinks this is a great concept, we want to make sure that physicians are getting rewarded and penalized respectively based on what they can control and their own work ethic, not a hospital fee or, or a facility fee that they were not in the room when it was uh, negotiated. And, you know, one thing that I'll add on episodes of care is this has really uh, been a beautiful illustration of how TMA and Memphis Medical Society work with our physician members to impact uh, issues across the state. Uh, episodes of care in particular, you know, TMA is uh, funneling information down to the local medical societies to see uh, what information we can gather at a local level. I know I personally fielded probably over a dozen uh, emails and phone calls from physicians giving us feedback on the program, uh, which we then collect uh, and share with TMA at the state level. And it, I think it really had an impact on the pausing of these episodes. So I, I really want to uh, highlight that encourage our members when you're being impacted by something let us know because uh you may you may not uh realize how many of your colleagues are affected uh in the same way and uh that that's how we affect change at the state I, level really uh something that one of your, your good members down there dr keith anderson it kind of reared his head under his uh presidential term here at TMA um, and Dr. Mancini, of course, out of Knoxville, ha has kept that torch burning so that physicians, like you said, aren't getting penalized for things that are out of their control. Um, with that and your permission, Mr. Cummins, we'll move on to our public health bill uh, sponsored and brought by the TMA uh, last year, um, having to do with tanning beds and tanning spas. Um, really a, a great bill that the uh, we had a, we got to lead a coalition of people on. Wish it had been a little bit stricter, um, but as things go in politics, you can't get everything you want. So we work in the art of the possible, uh, and we don't let uh, perfect get in the way of good. Um, what this bill does is it allows. Um, for people 16 and 17 with parental consent to use a, an ultra bed, 
ultraviolet tanning facility uh, and prohibits anyone under the age of 16 from using it. Um, before the implementation of this bill, with parental consent, your nine-year-old could have gotten into a UV tanning uh, facility. And in fact, we heard some instances where that was happening. Um, so it's nice to bring TMA uh, and especially the, our, our young people in the state of Tennessee up to kind of where the watermark is for the rest of the country. Not something that we're going to let go away as we try and, and, and work towards perfect here. Um, but, you know, public health has always been in the mantra and mission of TMA. And this is just one concrete example in which we can show. And it's, it was another example in there where people probably don't realize the strong lobby that the tanning industry has. And it was, uh, you know, a, a big challenge for us to take on uh, such a large and influential uh, lobbying group. So uh, kudos to you all uh, for tackling that. Uh, we had a lot of activity here locally on that bill. Uh, Dr. George Woodbury, our local legislative chair. Absolutely. Is a, is a yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I was glad to see that we made some, uh, progress on that. Uh, Ben, the, the next one confuses me a little bit, uh, bartering and medicine are two words that I don't always put together. So why in the world do we need a law addressing bartering and medicine? Our good friend, Senator Rusty Crow, um, from Northeast Tennessee wanted to be able to, uh, trade services. Um, or in his instance, there was a physician that did, did take a pig as payment for medical services uh, and then was told by the district attorney that he could not barter for medical services. He had to have some form of cash. So uh, I think he did get some bacon out of the deal. Um, our physician in Northeast Tennessee, but he brought this to Chairman Crow's attention and Chairman Crow passed the law. All right. That's a whole nother version of Wu Pig Suey, as our uh, friends in Arkansas would say. So. Uh, all right. Uh, ben, I know there's a, a few other small bills that you want to hit some high notes on uh, before we move on. Uh, what are some? Well, I, I always want to be respective of the time, especially of that of our physicians that have to listen to us banter on and, and more importantly, have to listen to the sound of my terrible voice. So we'll, we'll hit them real quick. The hospital assessment, um, which pays for a lot of the things that we do in the 10 care program, got uh, re-upped again this year. Um, a, a needle exchange program uh, was was added to in a way that allowed some quasi-government agencies uh, to get into needle exchange um, as we deal, especially down in, in the Memphis part of the state with the rise in heroin and heroin addiction. Um, there were, there, this was really a bipartisan effort to look at and see how could we keep um, instances of intravenous diseases from spreading um, while that opioid epidemic epidemic does kind of tip into the illegal substances. Um, so, so something that I think uh, e e Memphis has been looking at doing is kind of a needle exchange to stop the spread of particularly HIV and, and other diseases. Um, the last thing that I'll hit um, that was probably in the news that I think our physicians care about is there's an ongoing push for care to have some kind of work requirement. So those care recipients that, that may be patients of yours, um, our exceedingly conservative legislature has been working the waiver um, with the federal government as much as they can to make sure that those people that do get especially cash benefits um, are, are at least looking for some type of gainful employment. Um, I'll, let, I'll let the people who are listening decide if that's a good or a bad idea, but that is the way that the wind is blowing on Capitol Hill in Nashville as far as that's concerned. <laughs> 
All right. Thank you, Ben. Um, another kind of overlooked component of legislative advocacy in area where a lot of uh, membership dues get invested is influencing the amendment of certain bills throughout each session. Uh, what are some key ones that we were able to get amended? Well, I this think year? ones that hit physicians square in in the heart and in the pocketbook. Um, there was a bill that would have doubled the HIPAA penalty, so in in essence, would have added a HIPAA penalty at a state level to a federal level that's already there. Um, we were able to go to that legislator and say, "Look, the federal penalty is pretty stiff, especially if this is a." stolen health information or something like that. Um, they were able to do that. There was language that would allow art therapists to diagnose certain mental health disorders um, that we were able to show that art therapists just don't really have the training to kind of look at and diagnose you know, things like schizophrenia. Um, that kind of scared us a little bit. Uh, and then finally, I think there's the biggest issue that we have seen and one that continues to hit us is balanced billing. Um, it is an issue that affects almost every person in the state in some way, shape, or form, uh, and is one that we continue to work with our insurance friends. Um, while they say balanced billing, we say narrow networks, um, and, and we have been able to fight off at least eight different bills in the last two years um, that would try and limit some sort of billing from a physician to a patient just because an insurance company didn't want to keep them in network. So definitely a topic that will be coming up again. All right. Thank you, Ben. Uh, so finally, uh, to wrap up this year, uh, TMA spends a tremendous amount of resources defeating bills that would have a negative impact on uh, physicians. And so tell us about some of those that you were able to defeat. Yeah, I think the biggest one that, that our orthopedic friends think about was uh, PT direct access. So physical therapies, physical therapists wanted to do direct access medicine um, without a referral from an orthopedic physician or any physician for that matter. That was a huge one, uh, a bill that I've been fighting for 11 years now. Um, there's a gentleman um, out of Middle Tennessee who wants to repeal the mandatory helmet law. Um, I think, if anything, our ER physicians would never allow that to happen. I have seen them, I have seen them storm the Capitol before, and they did so again last year as, as this bill was brought back for the 11th year that I can remember in a row to try and make uh, motorcycle helmets no longer mandatory for anyone and that would include children so able to defeat that bill again uh, and then finally there was a bill that would kind of put hurdles in the way of parents getting vaccines and vaccine information to their children we were able to work with the Tennessee Department of Health and actually the governor was an ally on this bill uh, to make sure that all of our children can get vaccines when they need them. Well that's great I know a lot of the the work that y'all put behind the scenes uh goes unnoticed sometimes, and, and sometimes it's simply uh, defeating these bills behind closed doors so that they don't see the light of day. So it's important that we make our members aware uh, of those bills that we're defeating. Uh, ben, I, I hope you're not tired yet because uh, we've still got to talk about 2019. Uh, what's TMA going to be working on in 2019? I know there's a lot of things that are annual ongoing issues. Uh, but tell me what the 2019 agenda looks like. Um, well, it, it's it's going to be hopefully not as bad. I will tell you, and we have been in your area, has seen this as much as any area of the state. We're going to have a large overturn in our Tennessee state legislature. So I know why 
while Donald Trump, Phil Bredesen, and Marsha Blackburn are getting the, the daily news articles, uh, government really happens more on a local and a state level than it does that one time a year that you have to cut your check for your federal income taxes in April. Um, so I would encourage all of our physicians within the sound of my voice to, to be involved with their local politicians, to be involved um, with their local societies, because Politics is local. As the saying goes, it hasn't changed um, since Mr. Roosevelt said it, and I don't think it will change anytime soon. The issues that I would point out are, are ones that we've kind of spent most of this this podcast talking about. Balanced billing will be back. Independent practice for um, APRNs and, and, and some PAs. Um, the biggest one they pushed last year and we were able to defeat is the prescribing of buprenorphine. So we're talking about the state's second most abused drug and we have people pushing for more prescribers so that it can be more readily available. Um, PT direct access, we expect to be back. That friend of mine, the helmet bill, um, will always be back. I, 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 as long as I'm in this industry, I expect I'll have to fight that particular piece of bad idea. Um, but ultimately, I think the one that we haven't talked about in a while that I think our physicians would be interested in is there is a movement for the repeal of the corporate prohibition for practicing medicine. So what that means is hospitals hire direct, directly hiring physicians um, and some would fear controlling what they order tests for and, and talking more about caputation and they're talking about patient health care. All right, great. So uh, there's also a few bills, uh, Ben, that uh, TMA is going to bring forward this year. What uh, what do you expect to see from Well, TMA? with a third of um, the legislature turning over, we're going to use that chance to educate physicians on, I think, what our two biggest issues will be coming forward. And, of course, that's independent practice. Uh, and then I think the next one we'll be looking at is balanced billing. But what we hope to fix next year um, is a resolution for equal treatment for mental health coverage. Um, we're going to start that conversation next year so that we can say that mental health is just as important as other more classically consumed terms of health, especially when it comes to getting paid for by our insurance friends. Um, and then we're going to have an opioid bill. Uh, we're going to have an opioid bill, hopefully to deal with some of the stories that we've heard from the implementation of Tennessee together so that we can go about and, and maybe ease up on some of those restrictions where they need to be um, so that patient care doesn't get sacrificed. Uh, and then I think the last thing we'll be looking at is, is defeating independent practice. We won't particularly bring a bill on that, um, but uh, it's going to take up most of my session for the next two years. So the two bills we'll be bringing, uh, some solution to balance billing uh, that holds the patient harmless but allows the physician to get paid for their services, uh, a little bit of uh, fix on the Tennessee opioid law, and then starting that conversation on mental health uh, parity. One other um, uh, legislative issue that has kind of begun to bubble up in Memphis and that our students locally are actually taking an active role in and have actually organized a statewide group of physicians is uh, the, the GME funding issue. Uh, we won't necessarily bring a bill forward this year, but I want to make our listeners aware that we've got a grassroots effort uh, led by some of our student leadership here locally uh, to really try to make an impact on uh, GME funding throughout our state. So I want to uh, give some kudos to our uh, students, both in Memphis and throughout the state uh, that are working on Well, that. I know we can't get through a legislative uh, dinner in Memphis without Dr. Woodbury mentioning it. Um, it. It is a talking point that we have mentioned to every physician when we do hand out our, our impact checks. 
Um, we've done 72 of those this year. So I can tell you at least 72 legislators across the state of Tennessee has heard that point also. <laughs> Thank you, Ben. Uh, you bring up a good point about our legislative reception. I want to make sure our listeners know about that. Uh, Monday, November 12th at uh, 6 p.m. Uh, not sure if Ben's going to make it, but certainly we'll have some TMA legislative uh, staff there. And of course, all of our local le- elected officials uh, really make a point to try to attend that. So uh, if any of you out there are interested in attending, just go to our website or, or send me an email at info at mdmemphis.org. Uh, and we'll make sure you're on uh, the list to be able to attend that. Uh, ben, there's no doubt that TMA and Memphis Medical Society are the leaders in advocating for physicians, both in Memphis and across the state. But furthermore, what a lot of folks may not realize is that we're one of the most active physician advocacy organizations in the country. We've taken the lead on so many issues that you mentioned today. And one of the reasons we're able to be positioned that way is the commitment from our physician members. But we need an even greater commitment to take on some of those issues coming down the pike. Uh, so, Ben, what do you need the physicians listening today to do? Well, I, I hate to sound like a politician, but I spend so much time around them. It sometimes rubs off in good ways. Um, we ask for, for three things above your membership, because I, I think the most important thing we have is membership. The more members we have, the better it is to get access to government, um, because the more people we represent, right? But what I would ask above your membership and before and above you advocating in your practice and in your friend group and in your colleagues, uh, even waiting rooms at the hospital for membership is give me an, give me a hundred dollars one day, excuse me, a hundred dollars one day and one trip. So I'm asking for a hundred dollars for impact because we, we go about the state spending a significant amount of money to make sure that organized medicine has candidates that are good for organized medicine, both running and winning offices. I'd ask for one day a year. That's, T- that's TMA day on the Hill. It is always a wonderful sight to see, uh, four or five hundred white coats flood the halls of the legislature to remind those people that there are people in their communities that practice medicine and that help their constituents. And then ultimately, I do ask for one phone call a year. Uh, we, we're happy to send that. We send out all kinds of information. But when we really need you to call your legislature, uh, we send out a TMA blast that goes and says, please contact your elected official about this. So those are the three things I ask for above membership. And I just thank all of our physicians because they are organized medicine. While you and I get to get to work on it on a daily basis, we wouldn't be there if it weren't for them. So I appreciate all that they do. And I will definitely see them in Memphis uh, for the Memphis legislative dinner. I'm excited about that one because we have a lot of new Democrats and a few new Republicans um, in in the lower west corner of the state that we've been able to confirm to come and look forward to making those new relationships that help organized medicine uh, have a bright future. Great points, Ben. And one thing I'll point out about the day on the hill is that there's a free bus ride from Memphis for any Memphis physicians that want to participate. We feed you uh, on the way there and on the way back. It's a long day, but it's a great day to Ben's point. Uh, Having all those white coats up there on the same day really uh, makes an impact on uh, our legislature. Uh, We've got another pack here locally called MEMPAC. So if if a statewide pack is not something you want to participate in, we've got a local one uh, here that supports our local candidates. Uh, You couldn't go wrong supporting either pack. So uh, definitely just want to make sure you uh, put some of your time and energy into our uh, legislative uh, efforts. Um, that's going to wrap us up for today. Uh, Ben, I really appreciate you joining us today. 
Uh, if you've got any questions on today's podcast, just go to mdmemphis.org and click contact us. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, you can also go there to request your CME credit or just send an email, as I've said before today, to info at mdmemphis.org, and we'll get your confirmation of CME over to you. Uh, ben, thank you so much uh, for joining us today, and thank you for everything the advocacy team does at TMA. Uh, and thank you, everybody out there for joining us. Uh, stay tuned for more podcasts down the road. We'll have a lot of uh, different topics from a lot of different uh, players here in the Memphis uh, healthcare uh, community. Uh, we really want to illustrate some more opportunities uh, from us to help our physicians live better lives, whether that's at home or in the practice. For Ben Simpson, I'm Clint Cummins. See you all next time. You've been listening to the Memphis MedCast, a podcast series from Memphis Medical Society. Subscribe to our podcast anywhere you enjoy listening to podcasts or mdmemphis.org.